The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Psalm 23 as we continue our series from this most familiar passage of the Bible, probably one of the most, if not the most, well-known scripture in all of the Bible. Before I do that, I just want to say a huge thank you uh, on behalf of uh, Lisa and myself for your kind uh, remembrance of our uh, 40-year anniversary uh, here at BCA, work anniversary. Uh, that was a total shock and surprise and so very, very kind and generous of you. Uh, we love you. We love this church. It's been uh, one of the greatest honors of our life to be able to be in one place for such a long time. And uh, uh, my wife was in on it. Uh, my dog Rex was in on it a little bit. But I knew nothing about it. So that was one of the greatest coups uh, that I've ever uh, witnessed. But uh, it was fun to have our uh, two grandchildren with us. They made the stage for a while, as much as it was interesting to them. They were fascinated by the balloons. But uh, we just uh, want you to know how much we appreciate your kindness and your warmth and your love. And uh, it means the world to us. So thank you, thank you, thank you. In honor of my 40 years at BCA, I want you to feel totally responsible in helping me build 40 new small groups this fall. Can I hear a big amen to that? How do you like that? We've got about a dozen small groups. We really need to rebuild those puppies and uh, get that going. So I want you to really think about it. Don't just say, well, someone else will do it. Think right now about being a part of a team that's going to build. I'm going to write a study guide, so it'll be very, very easy. You just need to gather a few people around you and uh, and lead, facilitate the questions. And we really want to foster community building, connection, all that kind of thing this coming fall. So Think about leading, co-leading a group, hosting a group, leading a group here at the church. Uh, We're really, really excited about that. And if you are interested, you can go to the QR code, sign up. You can fill out the connection card. You can sign up at the Connection Center, or you can email me, and we'll get you going. Psalm 23, if you look at it from kind of a 30,000-foot view, you'll see that there are 17 promises. You ever feel like God has lost track of you? No, not even kind of. I want you to look at a few of these. We don't have time to go through all of them in this introduction, but, but notice that it says, the Lord is my shepherd. That is a personal promise from Almighty God that he sees you, he knows you, he's walking with you. The Lord is my shepherd. It's personal. I shall not be in want. That's the promise of provision. He makes me lie down in green pasture. He will give us the rest we need. Anybody ever feel like you need a little rest? He leads me by still waters. That's refreshment. He restores my soul. That's renewal. 
Sometimes our spiritual, mental, emotional, relational batteries run really, really low, and we need to be restored. He guides me in the paths of righteousness. That's guidance. For his name's sake, that's all about purpose. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that's comfort. I will fear no evil. I can overcome because you are with me. That's presence. That's where I want us to look here today is Psalm 23, verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Can you say that today? There's so much to be afraid about. There's so much to worry about. There's so much to be anxious about. If you have kids, I know exactly what you're worried about. If you have grandkids, I know exactly what you're thinking about. But there's health. There's finance. There's marriage. There's family. There's all sorts of issues that we can get caught up with that can just really be an obsessive thought for us. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. David says, I'm just not going to fear. Many of you may remember uh, a few weeks ago, um, we traveled, a group of us, 44 of us, to the Holy Land. And I came back and I shared a little bit about the wadis. The wadis are these deep ravines, deep canyons, deep dark valleys that are quite treacherous in the Holy Land, especially at night. You know, they're dry, dry, dry when it's not the wet water season, but they're, you know, full of water when, uh, you know, water is flowing. And it's a very, very dangerous place. And if you read the commentators about this, it's very interesting that these, these wadis symbolize the shadow of death, which is all about uncertainty. I've said before, and you've maybe said to yourself, the only thing certain in life that there's a lot of uncertainties, Right? There's a lot of uncertainties. And these wadis represent, in the psalmist's writing, the uncertainties of life, the dangers of life. It's not just death itself, but, but all that is perilous. The darkness of the wadis represents that which is perilous, the commentators write. Another commentator said, the straight paths sometimes go through the wadis, but God is still present. Sometimes to get from where you are to where you need to go, you need to go through the wadis. But just like a good shepherd is always with the sheep, God is always with you, and he's always with me. When we go through that which seems treacherous or uncertain or perilous, God is always with us. He's always there. Kidner, in his commentary, says, The dark valley of the ravine is as much a part of the right path as the green pastures. I love that statement because a lot of people think Christianity is all about things always going well. It's all about the green pastures. But there's a lot of shadows of death, a lot of uncertainties out there. How many know what I mean? I've been pastor here for 40 years. There have been a lot of good times, but there's been a lot of tough times. And if you're not experiencing them both, then you're maybe not alive anymore because life is full of the peaks and the valleys, the good times and the not-so-good times. God is with us through it all, right? He's with us through it all. The final part of that verse that I read is I will not fear because why? You are with me. David penned these words. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Why? Because you are with me every single step of the way. The reason I don't fear is because I'm never, ever alone. I may feel alone. 
But I'm never alone because he's always with me. He's inside of me. He's beside me. He's behind me. He's in front of me. He's around me. I'm never, ever, ever alone. I want to challenge us here today to think about our fears and to fight our fears with faith. One of the most familiar stories in the entire Bible is the one we read about in 1 Samuel chapter 17. You've heard about the story of David and Goliath. I don't need to remind you that that's the same David that wrote the 23rd Psalm. He was a shepherd boy taking care of his sheep and he finds his way in a confrontation with the greatest enemy, nemesis at that time of the Israelites. I want us to think a little bit as we kind of wade our way into this message here today about the subject of fear. We all understand fear. We all deal with fear. Fear of the future, fear of the past, fear of the present. There's so many phobias out there. Uh, You've read it and I've read it. You know, uh, there's arachnophobia. This is the fear of spiders. My uh, granddaughter, Lily, uh, is always talking about spiders, spiders. Then I asked her, do you like spiders? She said, oh yeah, yeah, I like them. (laughs) The way she says it, it's the most scary, ominous thing ever. But oh yeah, I like them, as she sucks her thumb. Um, (laughs) Ophidophobia is the fear of snakes. How many have that one? Let me see your hands out there. Okay, yeah. Arachophobia, the fear of heights. Anybody have that one? Yeah. Uh, Astrophobia, the fear of thunder and lightning. You know, that's one that uh, a lot of people evidently have, and I just, man, it just breaks my heart. Uh, Probably two weeks ago, I was reading a story, maybe you read it too, about a father and son who were walking. They were struck by lightning. The father died. I think it was the father that died instantly, and the son just passed away a couple weeks later. Isn't that terrible? Terrible. No wonder there's the fear of thunder and lightning. I mean, it's a real thing. Anachophobia, the fear of crowds, and glossophobia, the fear of public speaking. You know, after 40 years, I've realized I have those two, the fear of crowds and the fear of public speaking. (laughs) And I'm looking for a new job. I really am, because this this is just overwhelming. Emophobia, the fear of blood. Atrophobia, the fear of doctors. Yeah, some of you doctors out there, people are afraid of you. And then taphophobia, the fear of being buried alive. I read a couple weeks ago, whenever it was, about this graveside service happening in Ecuador. Did you read about that? And they're getting ready to bury whoever it was, and all of a sudden they hear something. The person was alive! What does that tell you about the future of cremation? I don't think you want to go that direction. Wow! The fear of being buried alive. How do we respond to fears and phobias? Most of us, if the truth be known, worry and fret. We obsess over the bad. We become anxious. And it affects us physically, mentally, emotionally, relationally. Doctors tell us about ulcers and cardiovascular problems and impaired memory and mental health problems and much, much more. Brought on by fear and anxiety. The common response we've all read about is fight or flight, fight or flight. It may not be wise to run from a bear, but we're going to try. And uh, we may not have a great fortune, but we're going to, you know, fight off that, you know, intruder that's coming into our home. You know, the bad effect of fear is panic attacks and high blood pressure and poor sleep habits and weight gain 
anxiety, depression, mood disorders, according to uh, psychology today. But I want to suggest something else for us today. Instead of fight or flight, how about faith? How about faith? As we face fear, how about we face it not with fight or flight, but with faith? That's what David did in 1 Samuel chapter 17. He had an encounter with a giant named Goliath. Instead of fighting or flighting alone, he faced the giant with faith. In fact, for David, it wasn't fight or flight. It was fight and flight. Listen, he flew into the fight with faith, right? That's what he did. The Bible says he ran to the battle line. He couldn't get there quick enough because of his faith. David understood Paul before Paul understood Paul. When Paul said these words in 2 Timothy 1.7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. We've all read that there are 365 fear knots in the Bible, or thereabout. One for every day of the year. And yet we still fight fear. How do we face our giants with faith? In these last few moments that we have, I want you to walk through with me three faith lessons, three, three principles that we can apply to our life. Before we do it, I want you to think about, if you haven't already, many of you have already done this, think about the thing that you are afraid of the most. What is it that causes you the greatest anxiety? Got it? I'll wait. What do you worry about more than anything else? And I want you to think about that and apply these scriptural principles to that fear as we make our way through. The first thing that I need to do as I study the life of David as he faced Goliath is I need to determine. I need to identify the source or reason for my fear. I need to determine. What is the source, the reason for my fear? Now, it's pretty clear that David's problem was Goliath. But if you peel back a few layers of the onion, there's a couple other things I want you to notice. He was deeply, was David, disturbed that the Philistines and Goliath in particular were defying his God. He was not about to sit quiet for that. That bothered him. Their disdain, their disrespect, their disregard for the one true God was more than David could handle. And he didn't like either how it was impacting his fellow Israelites because they were running as fast as they could to get away from the Philistines and get away from Goliath. Goliath was the problem at hand, for sure. But if you peel back the onion just a little bit more, there was something else that David was fighting for. You come against me, verse 45 says, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord God Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Two things. First, if you don't accurately identify it, you can't accurately address it. What is the giant really? Let's say it's fear over my financial situation. Okay, well, that's a pretty big topic. I'm afraid of, you know, the circumstances surrounding my finance. That's kind of a little nebulous. It's kind of vague. Dig in a little deeper. Peel back a layer or two of the onion. Well, what does that mean? Maybe you're really afraid to deal with debt and discipline yourself to a budget. Maybe that's really the fear because every time you bring up debt or budget, 
your spouse gets angry and you have a big argument and it's almost not even worth talking about. Maybe, maybe that's what causes you the fear. Or maybe it's, uh, you know you need to join a, a support group or get financial counseling, but, but you're afraid of what that will result in. Or maybe you know you need to work harder or find a better job or educate yourself to become more employable. And that creates all sorts of anxiety. Peel it back just a little bit. If you can't identify it, you can't address it. Maybe you're afraid of your marriage dissolving in a divorce. Well, that's a pretty big thing to be afraid of. It's, that's a big one. But if you peel back the onion just a little bit, maybe you can get a little more specific. Maybe your greater fear is dealing with your addiction that's leading you toward divorce. Or maybe it's learning to be a better husband or a better wife. Or maybe it's coming to grips with the faith dilemma. One of you had faith in Christ and one of you not so much. Maybe you know you need to take responsibility or one of you need to take responsibility and there's just a lack of willingness to do so. If you can't identify it, you can't address it. Secondly, another thought here on this first one is accurately determine the worst case and the best case scenario. Frame, frame your fear. Frame it for a moment. Let's use money again. You know, the worst scenario is, hey, I'm going to go bankrupt. I'm going to end up in uh, debtor's prison. The best result is, hey, I'm going to get a better job, get a better debt program, uh, recovery program, uh, a better interest rate, and things will start going a whole lot better. Chances are it's going to be somewhere in between. But either the worst or the best doesn't result in you being hung or burned at the stake. It could be really bad or it could get really good. But the fact is you're still alive to focus and deal with it. Frame it. Give it some perspective. Ask God to help you move from where you are to where where you need to go. It doesn't have to be the end. How about your marriage? You know, my marriage isn't going well. Maybe it will fail, and you'll lose all your retirement, and that creates great, great fear. Or maybe God will do a miracle in your household, and your marriage will be healed. But regardless, you're not going to lose your right leg. You're not going to have to give up your firstborn. You still have time. You still have Jesus with you every step of the way. You have the Word of God. You've got counselors. You've got people that you can access that can help you go from this day forward. Put it in perspective. Same with your health, your job, your circumstances. Ask two questions. What's the worst? What's the best? To get more clarity and to get more perspective and get more insight. And then go to work asking God to help you move from that place forward. David stepped out in faith to confront his fear. He said to himself, I could die in this confrontation with Goliath, or he could die. But standing pat is not an option. It's time to do something. Let's go. God is greater than my giant problems. I'm going to fight fear with faith. Secondly, decide. Decide this. As you face your fear, remember you're thinking about something that just you can't help but obsess over. I mean, you're really concerned about it. It it, it creates great anxiety and fear every time you think about it. The second thing is you need to decide, what do I truly believe about this situation? For David facing Goliath, that was a real honest-to-God moment. 
He had to say, and he answered it very clearly in that story. Is God with me? Yes. Does God care about me? Yes. Is he going before me? Yes. Is he behind me? Yes. Is he beside me? Yes. Is he in me? Yes. Do I believe in him? Yes. As we face our fears, we need to ask ourselves some of those same questions. Is God with me or not? And let me ask you, when you face your fears, is God always with you? The answer is yes. He is always with us. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are always with me. Decide what you believe. We either believe that or we don't. In verse 34 it says, But David said to Saul, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or bear came and carried off the sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Can you picture that? That's a pretty amazing part of the story. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Two things. For David, he said, my giant God is bigger than my giant problem. Would you say that with me? My giant God is bigger than my giant problem. Do you believe that? You have to decide what you believe as you face your fear. We don't minimize our fears or concerns. It doesn't mean they go away. We're not, you know, trying to just have a positive attitude. No, we're trying to have a resilient faith. We're trying to face our fear with faith. My Giant God is bigger than my giant problem. I'm going to focus on the capital G, God, not the small g, Goliath, or my giant. It's a matter of what we're going to focus on. It's a matter of what we're going to obsess over. It's a matter of what we're going to have faith in. God is greater than my greatest challenges. Some of you are going through some really hard things right now. And this is a message for you. All of us in life will go through challenges, and this is a message for all of us. Cancer, failed marriages, financial uncertainty. The second thing I notice in David's story here is he chose to, 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 to uh, focus on the facts of his faith, not the feelings of his fear. The facts of his faith, not the feelings of his fears. David said, I believe. I believe in Scripture. All of that overrules my fears. It doesn't negate him. Giant Goliath was right there. It didn't make him disappear. But he believed in the power of his God to help him face his giant. The Bible says it. I believe it. That settles it. The Bible says it. I believe it. That settles it. That's our mantra. It doesn't minimize our problem. It doesn't make them go away, but it builds our faith. It builds God in our mind. We focus more on the power of our God than the challenge at hand. David chose. David chose. He chose. He decided. He chose to put his faith in God over his feelings of fear. And we need to do exactly the same thing. So I ask you again, what is that thing 
Maybe it's one, maybe it's two, maybe it's three things. What are those things that dominate your thinking, you obsess over? You know what they are. What are they? Give them to Christ today. Affirm like David, I am going to focus on the facts of my faith, not the feelings of my fears. Facts over feelings. Finally, and real quickly, do. We determine, we decide, and we do. Do your part, let God do his part. Do your part, God will do his part. Do your part and trust God. He will always do his part. For David, it was about acting on his faith. You know, the time for sitting around was over. It was time to act. He used one of his stones. After he ran to the front line, he grabbed one of his stones. He did what he knew to do, and he trusted God to do the rest. You say, was he that good of a shot? Well, he certainly practiced a lot. I mean, did he get it through that very small area and, and fall the giant? Well, that's what the story says, and so somehow, some way. Was it all David? Well, maybe, but maybe not. Maybe one of the great miracles of the story is not only the faith of young David, but God guiding that stone to the exact right location to hit the right part of the forehead that dropped Samson. Or, uh, Samson. That's another story. Uh, you can tell I'm thinking of giants. Goliath just dropped him right on the spot. I mean, just think of that story. David doesn't want a sword. He doesn't want a shield. He doesn't want a spear. He says, give me the slingshot. And Goliath is dropped. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, verse 48 says, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into the bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone without a sword in his hand and he struck down the Philistine and killed him. Really quick, two thoughts about this final point. Having faith does not absolve us from taking action. We need to pray, 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 but at some point we need to get up and take action. I shared in one of my devotionals this week about the story of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane where he gathered all of his disciples to pray before he made his way into Jerusalem. You remember that part of the story? And it says in one of the verses there that Jesus prayed, the disciples were supposed to pray, they slept most of the time, but, you know, there's a lot of praying. But Jesus said, now the time for prayer is over. Let's rise and let's go into Jerusalem. There's a point where it's time to act. It's time to go. We need to do our part. We've prayed, we've entrusted, we've, we've put our faith in Almighty God saying, God, I need a miracle, a miracle. I think I pray a prayer like that about five times every single day. Several times before I get out of bed. God, I need a miracle, I need a miracle, I need a miracle. We pray, we pray, we pray, we seek God, we seek God, we seek God. But at some point there is a time to do our part. We need to have forward motion and, and, and move forward in our faith. We face our fears through proactive growth and forward steps. Just think about it for a moment. We're praying about our job, our job, our job. Well, maybe God is saying, I want you to uh, take some forward action. You know, get some more training, improve your skills. You know, get better at your job. You know, be more employable. You know, be more promotable. Um, maybe, maybe it's marriage. You know, take some classes. 
Study some books. Take a seminar. Go to a retreat. Get some counseling. Take responsibility to get better on the job, in your marriage. Maybe you're struggling with an addiction. You know, plug into our support recovery groups at the BCC. You know, read books, take classes, get counseling, take responsibility. You say, I'm struggling in my faith. Read the Bible every single day. Get in one of our classes, support groups. Get people around you to help you grow, grow, grow. Parenting. I'm struggling in parenting. I just don't know what to do. I don't know how to take care of these kids. Read books. Get educated. Pray for sure. Plug into the family life classes of the church. Do everything you can do. God will do his part. He always does. And that's my final thought as we wrap things up. You can always trust God to do his part. Friends, he loves you more than you'll ever know. Some of you are going some real, real rocky stuff right now. Some of it I know about. Most of it I don't. God will always do his part. Have faith in God. Trust in God. Believe in God. David did. It's no coincidence that that rock hit the right place exactly. David did his part. He said the time for talk is over. The time for praying is over. The time for action has begun. And he stepped out in faith and he ran to the front lines and he did his part. David faced his fears with faith. He literally ran to face the giant. And he didn't win because he was bigger or faster or stronger, did David. No, he won because his God was bigger, faster, and stronger. His God was more powerful. Oh, the giant was huge. He loomed large. But he was nothing compared to David's God. My favorite verse for faith in all the Bible is found in Romans 4.21. Believing that God is able to do all he has promised. Do you believe that God is able to do everything he's promised? God will always do his part. Would you bow your heads with me as we just take a moment to ponder what it means to fight our fear with faith? With every head bowed and every eye closed, and we hold tight for just a couple more minutes, how many would say, Pastor Rob, would you pray for me? I am going through a really challenging time. I'm, I'm dealing with this fear or that fear or this anxiety or that anxiety, and I really, 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 really want to fight fear with faith. I'm asking God to help me and give me the strength and to overcome in one or another area of my life. Would you just raise your hand to the Lord? Just hold it high. There's a fear, there's a challenge, a concern that you're obsessing over, and you really want to give that to the Lord. As you lift your hand, you're lifting your hand in faith, and you're saying, Lord, I'm trusting you to help me. Just give it to the Lord. Lord, you see every hand. You know every need. God, you know what people are walking through, working on, trying to migrate, navigate through. I pray, Christ of God, that you'll meet every need and that you'll bring comfort and, and you'll help us face our fears with faith, doing what we can do, but trusting God to do the rest. Help us to determine what's really going on. Help us to decide that we truly believe in a great God and then help us to do the part we can, but but trust God to do the parts we can't. I pray your blessing, your strength, and help for each and every one who raised a hand, those 
with us in the chapel and traditions, those watching online today. God, you know where we're at. You know what we're dealing with. Are you here today and you have yet to commit your life to Christ? Maybe you're here at the invitation of a friend. Maybe you just found your way to BCA today. Before we close this service, I want to invite you personally to open your heart to a God who loves you more than you could ever know. And simply cry out to him and say, God, I want to make peace with you. I want to know your son, Jesus Christ, personally. The Bible says if you pray that prayer, Jesus will come into your life. He'll forgive you of your sin and give you the hope of heaven. And friend, if you pray that prayer here today, if you're praying it online, if you're praying it in the chapel, would you please take that connection card right here, right now. Just take that card and just check that box. Today I prayed to commit my life to Christ. Simply pray, Lord, come into my life. Forgive me my sins. I want to follow you. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the profound stories of faith like David versus Goliath. There's so much that we can learn and glean. May we be faithful to put it into practice. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I invite you to stand with me here in the worship center and in the chapel. I'm going to invite our prayer team to come to the forefront. And I'd like to encourage you, if you lifted your hand and said, I'm going through kind of a a heavy thing right now. I've got a fear that I need to overcome. Would you just present that to someone here that could pray with you in a very personal way? We're going to sing a closing song. Our tradition service and online services will close independently. We're going to sing a song and then we'll be dismissed in a moment. God bless you.